And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. I'm still not totally used to the screen being in the middle. I'm like, realized I was standing right in front of it. So hopefully you can still see. But um, we are in a series called The Songs of Christmas. And we're looking at some of these famous Christmas hymns, these carols that we sing. And today we're looking at Joy to the World. Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts 303 years ago. It's been around for a while, 303 years. Who has ever heard of Isaac Watts? Yes, quite a few. That probably means you grew up with a hymnal. Am I right? I grew up with a hymnal. And Isaac Watts wrote so many of those hymns. He's written around 750 hymns. Just incredible. So prolific. And his most famous is Joy to the World. Joy to the World. When he wrote it, actually, it was originally just a poem before it was turned into a hymn. And um, it actually wasn't even written for Christmas. He wrote it reflecting on Psalm 98. Many of his hymns came from different psalms, and he was looking at Psalm 98 and looking at the rejoicing that took place there and the, the celebration of a king who had come, and he wrote this beautiful hymn that has become a hymn of Advent, Joy to the World. When we think about joy, probably a lot of different things come to mind. You think about that happiness of this time of year and Christmas cheer, and what is Christmas cheer? I mean, is it that feeling that comes when you get your first holiday cup at your, your favorite coffee shop, or is it that nostalgic feeling with Christmas movies, or family time, or parties, or all of those things are good, but they're not our source of joy. I was thinking about this, and um, how we sing about joy this year and every year and how, you know, there's songs that talk about it's the most wonderful time of the year. And that's true for many of us, but it's also not true for some of us. I was reading about that and thinking on it. And, you know, Christmas in a lot of ways is just a maximizer, an amplifier of what we're already feeling. In a lot of ways, it just brings out what's already underneath. For some of us, that means it is even more joyful than the rest of the year has already been. And for some of us, it, it reminds us of the pain we've already been feeling. The pain of loss or the pain of disappointment or just what could be or what isn't. It amplifies sadness, but it also amplifies hope. It amplifies grief, but it also amplifies joy. It brings out what is already there. For many of us, that includes stress. It's a stressful time of year. For many of us, I mean, 2018, a study said that 88% of Americans felt stressed celebrating the holidays. That's most of us. Most of us are somewhat stressed when it comes to this. And some of the main things that stress us out, money. This year, people were saying inflation more than ever is affecting their Christmas spirit. Family, health, sickness, overeating, food, cooking, the expectations that get put on you or events, cleaning the house, all these different things can be stressful. 64% of people this year said they're stressed about finances for Christmas. 41% of people felt a rise in depression as it got closer to the end of the year. 26 said the holidays are so stressful, 26% said the holidays are so stressful, they'd rather skip them. They wish they just didn't happen. Just keep the year going. And so as we think about that and how the holidays can amplify what we're already feeling, but we know joy is something God offers and he calls us to. In fact, he even commands it. 
He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul says it twice. He, he emphasizes it. He's like, rejoice in the Lord always. He's like, they're probably not going to take that seriously. In fact, I'll say it again, rejoice. He doesn't repeat himself that often. He's not like, don't lie. Again, I say don't lie. Or don't murder. Again, I say don't murder. He doesn't, he doesn't do that, but he does it with rejoicing. I think he knows we need to hear it more than once. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. How are we supposed to rejoice always? How are we supposed to do that all the time? Because things aren't good all the time. How do we have a source of joy that isn't dependent on our circumstances? I think that's what Christmas reminds us, is that there is a joy that is bigger than us. A joy that's bigger than what we're going through. A joy that's bigger than our circumstances. Let's read Psalm 98, the psalm that this hymn comes from. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. I love that it just starts with a reminder of singing to the Lord because of what he's already done. There's always reason to praise God when you reflect on what he's done. Verse 2, the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp. With the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You can hear the hints of where he got joy to the world. You, the, let heaven and nature sing and all, all that goes into it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's with equity. I love that. The ver- one of the verses of joy to the world, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let all their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. You can hear it in the psalm. You can see where his inspiration comes from. Let's pray. God, thank you that we have reason for joy. God, as much as it can seem like, how? How can I have joy in the middle of this? Or how can I have joy in the middle of that? God, you step into all of that and offer us hope and joy and peace. That's not of ourselves, but a gift from you. Lord, would we receive it? Would we walk in it? Would we understand it more fully? By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Advent, as we've been talking about, is a season where we remember the Lord's coming. Advent means to come. It's a season of waiting and hoping. We talk about hope and love and joy and peace. We talk about how Christ has come and he will come again and that we're in the middle, the now but not yet, where the kingdom has started, but we haven't fully experienced all that it means to be in the kingdom of God. As we read Psalm 98 and look at it, and look at those passages in the New Testament that command people to joy and encourage rejoicing, we realize quickly we need a joy that's not dependent on our circumstances. We, if we've been alive for long enough, have walked through something hard enough that makes us realize if I'm going to have joy all the time in every circumstance, I need something that's bigger than me. I need something that's bigger than what I'm going through. I need a culture of joy. Who remembers 2021, March, so about a year and a half ago, March Madness is happening, 
and one team rose to the top. Who remembers who won last year, March Madness? Where are my sports people? There's a handful of you. Tyler, you remember who won last year? 2021, the Baylor Bears win March Madness. The Baylor Bears from Waco, Texas. The coach is known for saying that his team has a culture of joy. I've never heard that about sports before. A team that's known for a culture of joy. And I thought that's so cool. Coach uh, Scott Drew regularly was talking about joy in his team. For his team, he said, that stands, it's an acronym. He goes, Jesus, others, you. That's the order of priority he wants. And he talked about how they just have a happiness about their team and a joy about their team. And I started thinking about this idea of a culture of joy. Because obviously a culture of hope is something that's important to us. It's worked into the name Hope Culture Church. We want to create a culture of hope and bring hope to our culture. But a culture of joy is intriguing. This idea that it's an atmosphere where, where joy is present and an atmosphere where joy can flourish. You know, culture, if you think about it from the biological sense, it's something that you get a sample of. It's as a verb in biology, it's to maintain a condition suitable for growth. Maintaining a condition suitable for growth. Having a culture of joy is creating an environment where joy can flourish. That's interesting to me. How do you do that? How do you have an environment where joy can regularly pop up? I heard this illustration where we like to think of happiness because of what's going on and around us. And uh, he talked about how there's helium in balloons. And the helium in balloons causes the balloons to go up, but eventually the helium leaks out and the balloons come back down. And that's like our happiness. It comes and it goes. Sometimes slowly in and slowly out and sometimes quickly in or quickly out. It's dependent on the circumstances. It leaks. It needs to be refilled. We need to have something else that brings us happiness. Joy is less like helium in a balloon and more like a root. It's more of something that has to do with the source and where it's coming from. That it's not dependent on the outside environment, but more the inside environment. Happiness is dependent on happenings, what's going on around you, and it's influenced by your external world. Joy is influenced by your internal world, your internal environment. Let's turn to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby. Well, while you're flipping there, or if you're looking on the screen, shepherds were not something you sought to do. You weren't like, my career will peak when I become a shepherd. It was actually something that usually you did when you were young and you hoped to not do for very long. That's why you regularly read of shepherd boys in scripture. And it's not something that you wanted to do long term. It was kind of the, the lower part of society, the people that would regularly be looked over and oftentimes weren't even welcomed at the temple. It's the shepherds who Jesus shows up to first, that are, are, is announced to first. The angels show up announcing to the shepherds. They're keeping watch over the flock by night. Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The angel came and announced to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We're going to do a little bit of nerdy stuff today, all right? It is, I know, Christmas time and you're tired and we don't want to do too much 
work, but the word for great there is megas. And that is not hard to figure out that we get the word mega from that. And I love that, that imagery, that this is good news of mega joy. Like, this is really good news. This is news that should bring you not just a little bit of joy, but like mega joy. And I think that would be very funny if the, the scriptures were written that way. But great joy is a great interpretation. But I want us to think, I want us to walk away today thinking the announcement of Christ coming is good news of mega joy, of great joy for all people for everybody. He appeared to the shepherds first. I think that's so intentional that God is saying, I'm here for everyone. Jesus regularly said, I'm not here for the healthy. I'm here for the sick. I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the sinners. Jesus came for all people. And that's good news of great joy. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I love this reminder that Jesus' birth is an announcement of joy. That a baby entering the world brings so much joy, not just to his family, but to the entire earth because of who he was and what he did. That he wasn't just an ordinary baby. He was the son of God sent out of love from the father to rescue me and rescue you from sin and darkness. I want to give us a few things. And this isn't an exhaustive list. This is just some things from Psalm 98 and some important points as we look at it of how we can have joy. And the first thing is that we can have joy because salvation has been revealed. We can have joy because salvation has been revealed. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Psalm 98 in verse 2 says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. I love how Isaac Watts, being a pastor, is interpreting the Old Testament psalm through his New Testament eyes. And what I mean by this is, is this psalm was written before Jesus was born. But Isaac Watts, being a Christian, being a pastor, understanding the significance of Jesus' birth, sees this as more than just God reigning in the Old Testament. He understands the significance of seeing salvation through Christ, which is why it's become a Christmas song. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. The Lord has made his salvation known. He's revealed it to all of us. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I think sometimes we just forget the goodness of the gospel. We know the gospel is good in our head, but we forget how truly amazing it is. How wonderful it is. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, the writer of that letter to the Ephesian church, talks about the mystery of the gospel and that gospel being revealed to people and that mystery being unfolded. We have the possibility of salvation through Jesus. The opportunity to have our sins forgiven, our life transformed, the Holy Spirit given to us and the promise of eternity Because Jesus came. It's good news of great joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Philippians 4, we we read this earlier. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
We have joy because salvation is revealed, but we also have joy because of our perspective. That it's not just enough to be saved. Many of us know that we have a relationship with Christ and that our eternity is sealed and we're written in the Lamb's book of life and everything has changed for us, but we're still not experiencing joy. We're, we're still, we're part of that stat. We're stressed out and depressed and all of those other things. We, we have eternal security with God, but we still are, are missing out on the joy he offers. And part of it is we haven't changed our perspective. Joy because of the grace we see. All right, this is the part where we get really nerdy, just for a minute. Can you put on that slide um, with, uh, there we go. So kara is the word for joy or delight in the New Testament. There's actually three different words, but this is the one used most often. This is the one that's used um, when it says good news of great joy. This is the one that Paul uses when he's talking about rejoice in the Lord always. It's a form of this word. And it means uh, rejoice, delight, um, and gladness. I love this. It's a source of joy. But then look at this. Look at the word study part of it, this next part of the slide. Um, so it's a cognate of kara, which just means they're all, there's multiple words that come from this one root. This is, worth, this is worth paying attention for the next two and a half minutes. <laughs> and so the extended root, kar, is extended favor, leaning towards to be favorably disposed. But then look at this next part. Properly, the best understanding it is the awareness of God's grace. The awareness of God's grace. It's grace recognized. That joy is a result of grace recognized. That when we understand the goodness of God's love, the goodness of his grace, the goodness of his forgiveness, it produces something inside of us. It's different than happiness. It's not just, hey, my favorite team won, or hey, that gift was amazing, or hey, whatever is good in my life. It's, it's a deep sense of joy because you recognize God's grace. You recognize what he's done in your life. See, joy comes because salvation has been revealed, but the more we reflect on the truth of that salvation, the more joy you'll have. This is something that's become very significant to me in a couple different ways. One is the Christmas season. So I've been following Jesus for a very long time. I gave my life to Christ as a kid, and it's been decades. And so somewhere in the middle of that, the way I thought about Christmas changed, and not for the better. There was a season where it's like, I love Christmas because it's really fun and family and all those things, but it started to lose a sense of its wonder. And I, I started asking mentors, I started reading, and I, I started studying, and we started practicing Advent more regularly, an intentional season leading up to the celebration, and there was a new joy that came back to Christmas. A moment where I just remember the significance, where I don't know when it happens. It's not always the same time every year that as I read over those passages of Jesus coming daily, leading up to Christmas, at some moment, my heart is drawn to worship. Wow. He came out of love. He didn't have to come. He set aside the things that he could have held on to and came and put on flesh, lived a perfect life, was beaten, abused, horrifically crucified for me out of love. 
brings me joy. It brings me to worship. It, it changes my perspective. So Christmas is one way that, that it happened. The other thing is I read a book and it talked about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Since then, for years, this has been a practice of mine. It's part of my quiet time with the Lord. I spend time reading, I spend time praying and reflecting and all of those different things we regularly talk about. But part of it for me every day, at least for a few seconds, is stopping and remembering the gospel. God loves me so much, he sent his son, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. And all of that is a radical act of love. So my prayer Every day, in some form, it's not word for word, it's not a religious thing, it's just relationship. I, at some point, I say, God, thank you that you love me and died for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus. And it's true. It's like actual gratitude. And it does something. It's given me a stability of joy that I wouldn't have otherwise. I'm not like crazy happy all the time, but I do have real joy. Abigail's crazy happy all the time. They laugh because they know it's true. Actually, so people have asked us this. People have come to church for a season. They'll come a little bit and they'll either ask somebody else in the church or ask us and they'll say, are you really like that all the time? Some of you are laughing because you've done it to somebody else. You, you said, are they really like that? And I'm not just calling anybody out. Like it's multiple people. Some people aren't even here that I know have said it. And the truth is yes and no. We're not always just happy, but we do always have joy. I mean, you guys saw last week, I was full of sorrow. I still am. I am very sad. I've cried every day for the last couple of weeks. For those of you who don't know, we lost a friend that's very, very close to us. I'll start crying if I talk about it too much. But I think of that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul's listing things. He's talking about being in prison, yet still praising God. He's talking about having no money, but having the richness of grace. And he lists and he says in verse 10, he says, Sorrowful, but always having joy. That you can have more than one of those things at once. And it, it might come in waves, like grief comes in waves. And you feel like sometimes you're cheating. It's like, can I actually have joy and be sad? Yeah. I can, I can get up here and proclaim the goodness of God and go home and cry because my friend's not here. Those are both true. And the more I reflect on the truth that I know, that he loves me, he died for me, he rose again, he wants a relationship on me, the more I recognize and become aware of his grace, the idea of joy being the recognition of his grace, the more joy I have. It changes my perspective. Another passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about being hard-pressed on every side and crushed, perplexed, and in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, Struck down but not destroyed. Some of you recognize the song from the early 2000s. If not, that's totally okay. You are welcome here. Even if you don't know any church songs, we love you. But then he says this at the end of this long list of everything that could be going wrong in his life. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's saying we shift our perspective. We don't just look at what's in front of us. We look at what is lasting forever. 
and it helps change the way we feel. This is not Paul saying avoid your emotions. This is not Paul saying ignore everything going on. In fact, he just listed everything going on. He goes, I've been beat, I've been persecuted, I've been abandoned. It's not denial. We're we're called to feel our feelings. We talked about that last week. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. But it's both and. It's feeling those things and remembering this is not the whole story. This is not the whole story. There's eternity in front of us. These painful, truly painful things are just temporary. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that. Because serious is not something we usually associate with joy. But joy is the serious business of heaven. There's a chapter in Luke's gospel where there's all of these different parables, these stories that Jesus tells about things being lost. He talks about the lost coin and how the woman finds it and rejoices that she found her lost coin and then talks about the sheep that's lost and the shepherd finds it and rejoices that it's found. And then it's the parable of the prodigal son or the son and the two, fa- the two sons and the father and how the one son runs away and abandons it all and comes back to the father and the father w- welcomes him with open arms. And it talks about all of heaven rejoicing This imagery that all three of these things are how heaven rejoices when one person accepts Christ as their Savior. I think heaven is regularly throwing parties because people are coming to Christ. It's a a culture of joy in heaven. And when we're followers of Christ, we're invited into that. And in fact, we're commanded into it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Joy is not a denial of what's going on in your life. It's a deep-rooted sense that it's not the whole story. It's an understanding that God has shown so much goodness towards you, even in the middle of your pain, even in the middle of your suffering. That, like we sang last week in O Holy Night, a weary world rejoices because he stepped into it. The last thing I want to talk about is that you have joy as you praise God. As you praise God. This is something that's very interesting to me. I think about this a lot. I think about how there's something that like when we want to or feel like praising God the least, we probably need to the most. That it's really good that we have an expression of worship, that something inside of us is coming out and we're expressing that to God, but that's still different than praise. Praise and worship are, are different. You know, the Old Testament has a lot of different words uh, for it. There's like seven or eight different words for praise and worship. And it's fun to study those. Maybe you should do that sometime and just dig in. But worship is internal feelings as a result of what you've seen God do that's coming out. Praise is a decision. Praise is something you choose to do. The Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. That, that is something that you're, you're sacrificing to step into it. I think of Psalm 61, or not Psalm 61, Isaiah 61, verse 3, talks about the oil of joy instead of mourning. If you read down a little bit, it says uh, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And then it says a garment 
of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That God invites us to put on a garment of praise that actually fights away the despair and the heaviness that we feel. But sometimes it's a sacrifice. Sometimes it's a decision to step into praise. Worship is an outflow. Praise is something you choose to do. Uh, Isaac Watts, the one who wrote Joy to the World, he also wrote this. He said, To see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly. It's such strong language. Those Puritan preachers. He's like, These people do not look happy, is basically what he's saying. He says, While the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. He's like, if somebody watched you sing that psalm, they might not think you actually believe that. (laughs) He's like, you guys do not look very happy. I know that's been me before, that you're singing it, and if someone looked at you singing it, and you're singing Joy to the World, it's like, you don't look very joyful. I think sometimes we need to choose to step into praise. And you could say, that's not my personality. I don't like clapping. I don't like raising my hands. I don't like any of those things. That's fine. It's still a decision to do it. I, I didn't grow up doing that. It was outside of my comfort zone for a long time. But if you're going to offer God a sacrifice of praise, it's not a sacrifice if you just feel like doing it all the time. That's not a sacrifice. Sometimes you have to choose to praise God. And when you put on the garment of praise, it fights away the spirit of heaviness. Praise is the idea of like you're collectively rejoicing that your team is winning. Like you're celebrating the Bears winning, which is few and far between. And you're just like, praise God. (laughs) Not praise God, just you're celebrating the Bears. Yeah, that analogy got a little muddy at some point. But Praise is when we collectively come together and say, no matter what I'm going through, which could be really different than what you're going through, you could be having a great week and I could be having a horrible week. We're going to come together and acknowledge the goodness of God because he's worthy of it. We're going to remember and reflect on the grace. We're going to recognize the grace he's given to us. One more C.S. Lewis quote, because he's awesome and he talks about joy so well. Therefore, praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. That C.S. Lewis is acknowledging what we just talked about. He's saying it's not just an expression of that joy. It actually completes the joy. That you actually find joy in the expression of God's goodness. I love that. It is an appointed consummation in commanding us to glorify him. God is inviting us to enjoy him. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. If you've ever had that moment where you've decided to worship and it really changes things for you. We do this regularly as a family. If things are just not going well, kids are acting crazy or we're stressed out, we turn on the praise music. We are in the top 3% of listeners on Spotify. (laughs) You know, you get your Spotify wrapped. We listen to music all the time. And most of it is praise and worship. We need to change the environment. We need a culture of joy. We need a culture, an environment that is suitable for joy to grow. It's not dependent on our circumstances. We all face hard things. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
We will face hard things, but we can still have joy. We can have mega joy. We can be like Paul, and we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Or another translation says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Let's pray. God, we need that. We can't do that on our own. God, it's, I, it's not even something you're asking us to fake. It's not an emotion you're asking us to create. It's actually supposed to be an acknowledgement of who you are and the grace you've given us. So God, we, we have joy because Jesus has come. We have joy because salvation has been revealed. Like Psalm 98 says that your righteousness has been put on display. God, we thank you for that. We, we reflect on the gospel. God, we ask you to change our perspective, to remember the goodness of the gospel. Would we think about it daily? Would we think about it minute by minute and moment by moment, that you loved us so much? God, not, not would we understand that you love us, would we fully accept and feel and believe that you love us? that you sent your son out of love, that as we celebrate Christmas and the coming of Christ, we're celebrating the gift that you gave us and invite us into freedom from our sin, a new life in you because of grace. God, would, as we reflect on that with gratitude, would that gratitude cause us to express praise, to step into exclaiming and proclaiming your goodness that we would rejoice in who you are, God. And as we praise you, would we enjoy you? Would we find new joy in you? Joy that we couldn't have because of our circumstances. Joy that's rooted in you, not just dependent on what's happening around us. God, we pray that it would become more and more true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've never experienced the joy that Jesus offers. It's not a superficial joy. It's not a manufactured emotion or a feeling. It's deep-rooted sense that he loves me and I have promise of heaven because of him. The good news of the gospel, that good news of great joy, is that Jesus came and lived a sinless life. Sin being anything we do to break God's laws or makes him sad. We've all done that. Jesus was the only one who lived a perfect life and he lived that life and then died the death that we deserve. Rose again on the third day and offers us a free gift. Grace is a gift. And just like any gift you receive at Christmas time, you have to accept it. You have to open it. And the invitation is believe that Jesus died for you Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you will be saved. Maybe you'll experience a joy you've never experienced before. If that's you and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I would love for you to make that decision today. Come and talk to me. Come to talk to Abigail. We'd love to pray with you or pray right now in this moment. Just simply say, God, I need you. I admit that I've made mistakes. I've done things my own way. I've sinned. I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus died for me so that I could have a relationship with you, Father. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com slash give. We hope you have a great week.